hype. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely and check it out. fruitful believer. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Welcome to Bible study. Amen. All right. We said again, we're going to look at Acts. <clears throat> Let me make reference to this. I don't often read it as much as I probably should, but the mission statement of this church is the training center is a church family commissioned to evangelize the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, ministering to the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. Through the ministry of the word, with practical applications, we train believers to become mature, bibliocentric leaders, equipped to minister the heart of God to their generation and thereby living intentional lives of purpose. The goal, I believe, of the church should be uh, redemption, yes, absolutely, but it also should be creating and developing, if you will, disciples. So spiritual maturity is the goal here, amen? And to that cause, I unapologetically will always say we're going to get into the word of God. All right. All right. So as I said before, as we're reading through the book of Acts, these 28 chapters, 28 days of the month of February, I want to highlight Acts chapter number one uh, on this was the second day of the month of February, Black History Month. Amen. I usually do a a black history emphasis, and I may uh, do that on next week, but I kind of knew that we were going to be at the time that we are tonight for some reason. So, um, praise the Lord. So, we'll pick that up on uh, next week. But notice here in Acts chapter number one, it begins as um, it talks about the fact that Jesus is still essentially with the disciples and he's getting ready to ascend on high, if you will. And he makes this latter declaration about things concerning the coming presence of the Holy Spirit. You see that in uh, verse 7 and really verse 8. And he talks about they will be endued with power and the purpose of the power is so that they can be witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and he says to the ends of the earth. But one of the things that's lacking here is all of the specific details of how this is going to work. He said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. But he doesn't say, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. It's going to be about five days, six days, ten days. You know, just, just, he says, go wait. And one of the things that's really interesting to me about Acts chapter 1 is how much is said and how much is not said. Because that is how our lives look. God says, I want you to go wait somewhere. And you say, well, okay, I'm going. And, and, and it's more than one day. It's two days. It's three days. He said, okay, maybe we're supposed to do something. And notice what they did while they were waiting. Look down here at uh, verse 21. 
So Peter makes this wonderful speech about the ministry. And he talks about, you know, Judas, you know, we know what happened to Judas. We understand that Judas betrayed the Lord and that's what he was supposed to do. And we got to have a replacement. <laughs> we got to have a replacement for Judas. And notice what they do. They have a vote just like we would do at church. All right, y'all. <laughs> Let's have us a vote. And he says, verse 21 out of the New Living Translation. He says, so now we must choose. Notice he says, we must choose a replacement for Judas from among men who were with us the entire time while you see we were traveling with Jesus or the Lord Jesus. So he says, all right, let's have us a vote. We need now. Now we understand that Judas was part of this ministry. And then, you know, we, we saw what happened. So let's we, we need to call together the folks that have been faithful, the folks that have been here. They said uh, the scriptures tell us there's about 120 of them at this given time. And he says, verse 22, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken away from us. He says, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Notice, notice verse 23. It says, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Bar Barnabas, Barbas, I know I'm going to butcher these a little bit tonight, and Matthias, Matthias. Then they prayed, oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of, notice out of this translation says, these men you have chosen. So they said, all right, we're going to call together and we have chosen out of, our, out of our choices, these two men. And now we're going to pray. Doesn't that seem a little backwards? But see, these are church folks just like we are today. We're going to have a meeting we're going to call together a committee, and then we're going to ask God to choose from what we have decided amongst our own decisions. Notice it goes on, and he says, the, uh, verse 25, and the apostle, he says, as an apostle replaced Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Notice verse 26, then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. And that is how chapter one ends. With a church meeting, church prayer, and they say, all right, we, the board reverend, have decided to bring to you these two candidates for the apostleship. Amen. They said, amen. They said, all right, now we're going to go before God in prayer. And they went to God in prayer. And they said, God, we have brought two people to before you to choose to replace in this position. And so they pray. And after they get done praying, they, 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 they literally, they cast lots. It's almost like, you know, let's roll the dice to see which one is going to replace Judas. And after that, the, the scripture closes out and it says, all right, we have chosen the one that's going to be the replacement for Judas. Amen. Amen. And he mind again. And all you got to do is flip a little bit further. You see, we ain't never hear nothing else about this brother. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know what, what his ministry becomes. Because the whole time that they're voting for Judas' replacement, God knows about a sinner that will replace Judas. His name was Paul. And one of the things we can extrapolate from this particular passage of scripture is 
never, 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 never think that <clears throat> that God doesn't have oversight, oversight, if you will, of the church. A lot of people are pointing themselves today. A lot of people are saying, all right, I'm apostle. But the Lord didn't call you to be an apostle. Okay, now praise the Lord. You Now, let's say the Lord call you into these positions. Then we can have all kind of elections. We can have all kind of, uh, of everybody in the community say, yes, we believe. But God ultimately has the final say. Another thing we can extrapolate in from this passage of scripture is never overlook the people that you're working with. The most hellish person that you would think, man, God could never use them can be the one that God knows is going to get born again and become the biggest blessing to the body of Christ. Paul was an enemy of the Christians, if you will. But yet God knew at the end of the day, he was going to be that 12th apostle. He was going to take Jesus' place, writing most over half of the New Testament. Now, we'll get into chapter number two on next week because now the Holy Spirit comes and everything is shaking upside down because the governor of the church comes into the world. Now, let's turn, if you will, once again, we're going to pick up at John chapter number 14. We have been talking about for the last little while in our midweek sessions, understanding the purpose and the power of prayer, understanding the purpose and the power of prayer. I don't have slides tonight. Hmm. John chapter 14. Yes. So just we just kind of ride together. Yeah, go ahead and wet your, your finger so that you can be prepared to turn your Bibles. Amen. I, I will go slow. I, I'm learning that. Uh, and uh, some of this is review. But we will we will get there, amen, at the same time. All right, so we've said in the past, what is prayer? Prayer is worship. It can be defined as to address God. It can be defined also as a place set apart or suited for an offering, if you will. It can be an asking or a seeking, seeking of God. It can also be defined as a petition, request, or supplications, as the King James so oftentimes uses. Ultimately, we said that prayer is communication between heaven and earth, between God and man, to converse, if you will, with God. We've said in the past as well that prayer is intended to be a perpetual or persistent lifestyle, a routine. It is continuous. It is not something that you should do once and you're done. But prayer is intended to be something that is just as routine to you as breathing. Which is the reason why the scripture tells us that we should never cease from praying. In other words, don't ever cease your communications with God and allowing God to communicate with you. Luke chapter 18 and verse number uh, one uh, or eight says, uh, he spoke a parable saying that men ought to always pray and not faint. Now. We've also said there are five areas of five things we need to know that what prayer is in fact not. Number one, we said prayer is not trying to get God's attention. You have God's attention. It is not a religious activity, even though people make it that. Prayer is never intended to be a religious activity. It is supposed to be communication between you and your heavenly father. It is not a product of the head. 
It's not something that you do with your head. In fact, it comes from and flows from your heart. Prayer is also not a function of posture or position. In other words, posture, it is not something that I am supposed to be doing in front of people for the purpose of you thinking better of me. Posturing. It is not a function of position, i.e. because this person has a particular assignment or they are a pastor, a bishop or something like that. I think in my head that God, they must have a special relationship with God. God treats all of his children exactly the same. You are as close to, I haven't said this in a while, you are as close to God as you want to be. If you see apostles or bishops or pastors, and you're like, man, I want to have a relationship with God. Well, the only thing that's stopping you from the relationship with God that you say you want is you. He wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to talk to you more and more every single day. But the only thing that's stopping it is not God. We've said that prayer is not trying to uh, get God to do something. And we're going to explore that even further, hopefully tonight. Psalm 62 and verse 8 says, Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Stop and think or see lie. Now, <clears throat> John chapter 14 is kind of where we've been looking at for the last little while. Notice what it says here. John chapter 14. Let's concentrate at verse number 12. Verse number 12. I'm reading at the King James Version of the Bible. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Notice verse 13. He says, and whatsoever ye shall ask, notice he says, in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, he reiterates, I will do it. John chapter 16. Let's flip over since that's right next door. John chapter 16. And let's drop down, if you will, to verse number 23. John chapter 16 and verse 23. Notice out of the King James what he says here. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Verse 24, hitherto you have asked nothing in my name, ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. And we are saying and we're indicating to you essentially that all New Testament prayers should be prayed in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And if for no other reason than the fact that Jesus says, this is how we ought to pray, that is good enough reason and alone. All prayers in New Testament prayers should be prayed in the name of Jesus. When you notice, if you ever notice how I pray, I usually say, Father, in the name of Jesus. Because that is scriptural, what we're supposed to do, to pray in the name of Jesus. Why is this the case? Because when we pray in the name of Jesus, it means we're praying in his character, and it also means that we're praying in his authority, which is equal to 
praying based on relationship and authority. Relationship and authority. Now, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Relationship and authority. Let's look at authority first, then we'll circle back to relationship again. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying essentially based on relationship and authority. Relationship and authority. And we're praying this way because this is what Jesus, in fact, tells us to do. Philippians chapter 2. Notice this. Philippians chapter 2. And let's look at verse number 9. The scripture says this. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That word really there is translated shall bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should or shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice verse 10 once again. He says, that at the name of Jesus, and we're going to transfer this word should to shall, every knee shall bow of those, notice he says, in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. We have three realms in which the name of Jesus carries authority. Heaven, earth, and under the earth. So he says, pray in my name, Praying in my authority, which carries its ability in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. You understand that? The name of Jesus, he indicates to us, is highly exalted and given him a name that is above every name. I'll say that. So, <clears throat> Christian people should not be running scared in the night of demons, ghosts, and goblins. Because he's giving you a name that's above every name. That name carries authority. And just like you see Jesus casting out the devil, that's what we ought to be doing in our houses and at work. Casting out the devil, not in your name, but in the name of Jesus. Demons should tremble when you show up at work because of the fact you know what the authority is invested in that name. The name of Jesus can deal with things that are on the earth and even under the earth. Now, the name of Jesus, therefore, has authority. Now, watch this. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16. This is Bible study. I'm working out a little bit. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16. Two areas that we need to understand about praying in the name of Jesus is based on relationship and is also based on authority. Authority is the power. It is the restored dominion of us in Christ Jesus. Relationship, though, is our position in him. Notice what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, Let us therefore come, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Notice what he starts. He says, let us therefore come boldly. Why can we come boldly? Because we are not coming in and of ourselves, but we are coming because of being in 
him. We are coming because of our relationship to Jesus the Christ, if you will. We can come boldly and we don't have to come crawling, but it says come boldly before the throne of grace because when you come before the throne of grace, you are coming in the presence of God and God is now your Abba Father. Unfortunately for a lot of Christians though, God says come boldly, son, daughter, before the throne of grace. And they come and say, Lord, I'm just so not worthy. Here I am, Jesus. And they're like, what, boy, what's wrong with you? Come on in here, have a seat. Come on in. Come on in my presence. I've made you right by my blood. Oh, but Lord, I'm so unworthy. Son, I don't see that. I see you through my blood. He says, come boldly. It's like family. We can See, my daughters, when they... <laughs> it doesn't matter the time of the day. When my daughter's in the mood, they will come boldly before the throne of daddy. They just come on in. I might be tired. Hey, dad, let me tell you something. It, it's not even a second thought because I'm their dad. Now, the kid up the street around the corner, they might come in and say, uh, uh, Mr. Anthony or Mr. Smith, uh, if you're not busy, uh, I just want to say a couple things to you. Why? Because the relationship is different. God is saying, come boldly before my throne because you're mine. You're my children. Because of the blood of Jesus, you now have the spirit on the inside of you that cries out of Father, so you don't have to be on the floor. Come on in here. Now, because you're in Christ Jesus, one more scripture. Let's flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20. The name of Jesus is used. It is an indication of relationship and it is an indication of authority. The relationship is the restored position that you have in Christ Jesus. You are in him, if you will. And notice 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. The scripture says, watch this, verse 20, for all the promises of God, notice he says, in him are yes, and in him, amen, which we mean, which we know means, so be it. For all of the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, so be it. And he says, for who? To the glory of God through us. To the glory of God through us. So when I utilize the name of Jesus, it is invoking authority and it is invoking the relationship that I have through the blood of Jesus. Now, I want to make a little bit of a shift here, but not a whole lot. I want to talk about this area of covenant. Covenant. What is covenant? The word covenant literally means a solemn compact. A solemn compact. Well, what is a compact? A compact is a formal agreement between two or more people, you know, organization or country. It's an agreement, if you will, between two people. When we think of covenants, we think in terms of this larger agreement that is in place between two entities or two peoples, two countries, if you will. The word agreement means uh, is between or agreement between individuals by which each party is bound or they bind themselves to fulfill certain conditions and assure and are assured of receiving certain advantages. Let me say that again. 
when we are saying a formal agreement, the agreement that we are referring to is where the individuals from each party are buying themselves to, be, to fulfill certain conditions and are assured of receiving certain advantages. In other words, I get into covenant with somebody because uh, historically I was a farmer and they were warriors. And so what I would do is I would link up with the warriors because the warriors need to eat and we needed protection. And so what they had, I needed and what I had, they needed. And so what we would do is we connect together and say, okay, we're going to cut a covenant. Now covenant is not a contract. Because when we think of contracts, you know, you break a contract, then, you know, it, you know, it's all good. You know, we have, you know, certain punishments and everything, but it's, it's not really that deep. Covenant is different because covenant is something that really historically it is all the way to death. Covenant is where I literally I cut my blood and we mix my blood with your cut blood and we mix it together to say that this agreement is to the death. It is not a light thing. Does that make sense? Now, when we think of modern day covenants, we can think of it in terms of trade agreements or treaties, you know, like NATO is a type of a covenant that overseas, you don't have to attack the United States. You can just attack one country here that's in NATO and the United States said, all right, we're gonna show up because it is a type of a covenant. Um, when we think in terms of adoption of children, that is a type of covenant where I give you my name and you become one of my children. You weren't born from me, but you are of me because I've adopted you. And we're saying now you are inside the bloodline of the Smiths, if, if, you know, if you were to be adopted by me. Another modern day example of covenant is like land buying contracts. Except this will be to the extreme that if you break that mortgage, they would take you out. All right. Mortal grip is what the word mortgage really means. But another covenant that we don't often think about is, you know, in a negative sense, you know, we ever heard of gangs, you know, the only way you're going to lead this gang is in death. What they are essentially saying is we're in covenant relationship with each other. You ain't going to be able to exit this unless you die. Because essentially the difference majorly between a contract and a covenant is that the only thing that really separates a covenant is, in fact, death. That's the only thing that gets you out of it. Death is the great separator or the common denominator of covenants as opposed to contracts. Do you understand that? Now, why are you saying all this, Reverend? What does this got to do with prayer? Good. The Bible is broken into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament literally means covenant. So when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, you're looking at the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is between God and Abram and his seed. In the new covenant, it is between Jesus and all those that are born in Christ Jesus. The word testament, literally, it means a will. 
The word testament is the will that someone makes saying that something should be done. It is proof that something exists. In my day job, when we are looking for someone that has passed, but that they own land, but they didn't actually write down a deed for who it would go to, the first thing we gotta look up and say, okay, is there a recorded will? And the will gives testimony to the desires of the deceased, what should happen, where the land should go, who the land is supposed to be given to. And so I have spent time in my day job at the courthouse, pulling, looking through records to see, okay, what is the will and who is attached to the will? And whoever's attached to the will is attached to that land that we're particularly looking at. Because a testament is, in fact, it is a will that is saying something concerning money, property, the will or the wishes of the one that has died. The testament or the word testament, again, it goes back to the word covenant. So that even with a covenant, when you die, because we were in covenant relationship, everything that we had determined is still going to happen because of the relationship of the covenant. And we see that in the testament or that the last will and testament that is laid behind. Y'all with me? Now, I'm going somewhere. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I want you to notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Let's look at verse number 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 25. And he says, after the same manner, he took the cup and when he had supped, saying, this is, or he says, this cup is the New Testament, notice he says, in my blood. That do ye, this do ye, as all as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Well, what is he really talking about? See, Jesus sets the new covenant by his blood. When he dies on the cross, his blood is dripping from the cross. And when you get born again, that blood, you enter into him through that blood. So that in the new covenant, the new testament, if you will, you are not in Abraham, but you are in Christ Jesus. In fact, the Bible says you've been baptized into Christ Jesus. He says, I'm instituting a new testament in my blood. And not only am I doing so in my blood, he says, I'm going to die on the cross. Three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. And I am going to make sure that everything that I wrote in my new covenant is actually carried out. Because he died and he rose from the dead so that Yes, from this day forward, you are able to utilize his name from relationship. You are able to utilize his name because of authority. That makes sense? All right. Now, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I get what you're asking now. No, you're fine. Um, the Bible says, in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, right? When, so in other words, when Jesus physically walked on the earth, that's the body of Christ. One person, one place, one time. That was the central point of the anointing, if you will. Jesus says, all right, I can't, in order for everybody to be a part of the body, then I can't physically be here. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit is now going to be in the inside of every single believer so that the body of Christ is not just centralized on one person. It is in every single person that is born again. And even in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, when he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, the Bible says in Jesus, all the, all the gifts of the Spirit flow. But he says in the church, the body the Holy Spirit flows his gift through individual people in multiple different ways through multiple different peoples at, at, at a given time. In other words, because of the Holy Spirit, God, through the Holy Spirit, can be here in Gastonia. And he also can be in New York. He can be in Texas. He can be in Afghanistan because of the presence of the Holy Spirit into the world. And I'm going to explain this a little bit further next week as we look at Acts chapter number two. Let me shift back over for the sake of time into this area of prayer. That's good though. <clears throat> look over to Ephesians chapter six and verse number 18. Ephesians chapter six and number 18. Let's pick up here again. <clears throat> Notice what it says. Ephesians chapter six and verse 18. Praying always with all kinds or all prayer and supplications in the spirit. The New International Version says all kinds of prayer. And we've indicated to you in the past that prayer is not all the same. Prayer, he says all kinds of prayer or all prayer. All prayer is not the same thing. They're different kinds of prayer. Now, don't we talk differently to each other? There are times when I'm asking you something, but there's times we just fellowship, chopping it up. Prayer ultimately is communication between you and God. And so why is it that we think that all prayer is exactly the same when we understand that with relationships in other places? But we think when we, ask, when we go before God, it's I'm praying and that's just one thing. That's not the case. There are different kinds of prayer. For the sake of time, tonight, we are not going to look at all of them, of course, but I do want to point out one particular one. Let's look at tonight this area of the prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement for the sake of time. Let's look over at uh, Matthew chapter number 18. All prayer is not the same. There are different kinds of prayer. And so we want to look at this one, particularly tonight, this prayer of agreement, or what I categorize as communication of power or authoritative petitioning prayer. Matthew chapter 18, do you have it? Let's take a look at this. Verse number 18. Notice he says, Verily, verily, I say, or verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Now, if you've been in church, particularly charismatic churches at all, you've heard this scripture. It was even a song a couple years ago. Well, you bind it on earth, you bind it in heaven, you lose it on earth, you lose it in heaven. And I think sometimes we don't fully understand what this actually is invoking or indicating. Now, contextually, he's talking about, he, he, he uses, he talks about the relationship between folks in the church and how you ought to operate as far as if you have an issue, you're supposed to privately go to them and have them you know, try to work out that issue. This is in context in chapter number 18. He later on says, all right, if you're not able to work this situation out with, uh, with the individual person, bring them before the church and see if we can all work it out together. And then he goes on, he says, if you're not able to work it out together, even in the church, he said, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to eventually probably put them out. And then he says in verse number 18, verily I say unto you, whatever you shall bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And you got to get the impression, all right, what I bind goes here and it goes there in heaven. But that's not exactly what he is indicating per se here. Now listen to the same scripture out of the Amplified. He says, I, I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, whatever you bind or forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on the earth shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose and permit and declare unlawful on the earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. So essentially, when we are binding and loosing, it has to be in agreement with the word of God. In other words, we don't get to bind and lose anything if it's not in agreement with heaven. Does that make sense? Now, I'm saying this for a purpose. Look at verse number 19. <clears throat> Notice this. He says, again, I say unto you. Notice he says that if two, how many? He says, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching. This is the King James Version of the Bible. This is not by itself because the whole portion of scripture he's talking about the relationship between two people and he talks about in context if you have a disagreement go before somebody why because you can't be in agreement with somebody if y'all are in fact in an area of contention and so he concludes his area he says again I say if two of you shall agree on earth and the King James uses this term as touching Anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, notice again, he says, it only takes two. In this prayer of agreement, this is not a solo prayer. It is a prayer that takes a minimum of two. And he says, shall agree on earth as touching, as touching. He says, anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That is an amazing promise. Notice this in the Amplified. He says, again, I say to you that if two believers on earth, that is, are of one mind, in harmony about anything that they ask, Within the will of God, it shall be, or it will be done for them by my Father, which is in heaven. Now, notice once again, he says, in agreement, or in of one mind, or in harmony. So, therein lies the rub. 
The King James says, as touching. How many of you have ever heard the word or the term touch and agree? Now, you notice, did you see that in there? Let's touch and let's agree. He does not say that at all within the scripture. He says, shall agree on earth, and he used the term as touching. And that's the reason why I read the Amplified, because it literally means to be of one mind or to be in harmony. We've all heard singers before, right? You ever heard one in key A and the other in B flat? It sounds like a hot mess because you singing in a different key. See, I used to play uh, for choirs and, uh, you know, had singers and stuff like that back in the day. And I, as a keyboard player, would start a key somewhere and I, you know, and somebody would sing and they'd be way off somewhere else. And then what you will hear sometimes, if you listen to a keyboard player, they'll hit that one note, do no 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 and somebody just keep on singing and then no 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 and sometimes the keyboard player, all right, bless God, let me find the do no 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 and somebody just keeps on singing. Do no 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 What we are missing is harmony. And when we don't have harmony, we have a hot mess. You singing this, I'm playing that. You doing this, I'm doing that. And unfortunately, when it comes to prayer, this prayer agreement, he says, this cannot be the case. When you pray this particular prayer, y'all gotta be singing the same song in the same key. It has to be harmonized. You have to be of one mind. It don't have nothing to do with you holding hands with somebody, rocking back and forward, having a churchy feeling. Because I can be rocking back and forward singing in A, and you rocking back and forward singing in B flat, and we're not harmonized. But we look good. But that prayer won't work. You say, well, well, we're touching and agree. He said to agree as touching. He says, if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for, notice the term out of the King James, for them. Two, as touching, for them of my father. It takes a minimum of two, but you all have got to be of one mind. You've got to be harmonized. And this, unfortunately, this is one of the areas where the devil fights particularly in the house. Because you got one thing, I got one thing. I'm thinking one thing, you're thinking another thing, and then we saying we pray in agreement. No, you ain't. Y'all ain't, ain't been more in agreement. No, y'all ain't agree. You, you think one way, and you, he praying one way, she praying this other way. You are not in agreement. So y'all can touch, hold hands back and forth and everything. But you, this prayer, this particular prayer of agreement will not work for you. Y'all with me? So, <clears throat> once again, if I am going to pray the prayer of agreement, it requires that we are of one mind and we are harmonized together. Watch this, verse number 20. He says, for where two or three are gathered together, and notice how he says it, in my name, connected to my covenant. He says, there am I in the midst of them. So two or three is a guarantee of the presence of God. 
He says two or three. He says, God says, ah, my presence is there. And I, that means that my hearing, my attention is given to you. And he indicates to you right above that, that you will have what you pray. All you have to do is get into agreement. But agreement is the biggest issue for a lot of Christians. How can we come into agreement? It does not happen through osmosis. I've been in a hospital before. And somebody say, Reverend, can you come over here and pray? And I say, amen. So what, what, what do we believe in God for? Well, I just believe that he's going to be all right. In, in what way? In what sense? You know, all right in the by and by in heaven? Because I've been by the bed of, of folks and and I can clearly say, say, I'm believing God that by his stripes ye were healed. She believed in God that God would just take him home quietly. We can't pray this prayer of agreement. Because we are not singing the same song. Now, I can pray in faith, but even with that, I can't overrule somebody's will in order for what my will for their life will be or should or it, it will not come to pass in their life. In other words, you know, if somebody is not wanting this and you over there, oh God, hey Jesus, hey move God, but they have already said, you know, I'm ready to go on home. You can do that all day. God's not going to override their will for your prayer. Okay? Particularly in this area of the prayer of agreement, when we are coming together saying we are agreeing, we have to be clear on what it is that we are agreeing about. Otherwise, we will never be of one mind. That's the problem. I'm going this way, you're going that way. We're saying, yeah, we're agreeing. Yeah, we're holding hands, but we are not in agreement. I've said before and I'll say again, all prayer is not the same just like all sports are not the same. You got football, you got basketball, you got baseball, you got tennis. Every single one of these sports are played with a ball, but they have different rules. If you take tennis rules over the football, they're gonna be a whole problem. If you take basketball rules over the tennis, they're gonna be a whole problem. Even though they're all classified as sports, they are played with different rules. All prayer is not under the same rules. If you're going to pray the prayer of agreement, you got to know what the rules are. What is it again? To reiterate as we close. Rule number one, there must be a minimum of two for this prayer. Two. Can't just be you. Otherwise, it's the prayer of faith. Because one of the things you'll notice about the prayer of faith, <clears throat> whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive it and you shall have it. All of that is you, 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 you. This prayer says that you got to have two minimum. It says that the two must be of one mind and agree about what we are asking. In other words, we've got to be walking down the same road. I can't have that be the case if we don't discuss I've seen this in my own marriage so many times. I said, babe, look, this is what I'm believing God for. Let's set ourselves in agreement. Say, well, I'm believing for this. Well, we ain't got agreement yet. And so we got to keep talking. Well, I believe, babe, based on this, and this is what we you know, this is what we want to have. This is what we want to happen. In order for that prayer of agreement to be a reality and that we can have what we are praying for, we got to continue to talk, to dialogue, to make sure that we are of one mind and in harmony together before we even go before God to ask. 
Maybe that's the reason why. The job I was believing for was this job, but I got that one. Because I was believing for this job, but she might have been believing for any job. And so you ended up with this job because when y'all said you prayed in agreement, God said, all right, I got to split the difference. <laughs> the rules of the prayer of agreement is there has to be a minimum of two believers. Number two, there must be two, the two must be of one mind in harmony that agree when they are praying. Rule number three is the asking must be in agreement with the known will of God. If you're going to pray the prayer of agreement, this is not if it be thy will. You know, need to know what the will of God is concerning a particular issue. In other words, you need to know what is in the covenant. What has he already said yes and amen to? The binding and the loosing must be in harmony with what heaven has already said, i.e. the source of your authority. And we're going to look at this a little bit further because I want to put a little bit more legs on that section next week. And I think it will go really good together with chapter number two. If I'm going to pray the prayer of agreement, we got to have a minimum of two people. I got to be harmonized concerning what we are praying for and we must be in line with the known will of God. And he says, when you do these three things, it shall be done. If I don't have these three elements that he defines here in his proper seat, then we might be praying, but we ain't praying the prayer of agreement. So we have no right to say, well, we have touched and agreed and it shall be done. Not according to what the Bible said. Y'all might have touched physically, but you wasn't in agreement, and so therefore you didn't get a move of God. This is a move of God that is guaranteed. And honestly, when it comes to the church, this is a prayer that we all can be praying together at the same time. And one of the reasons why, see, this is why I talk about vision. This is why we talk about the mission. This is why we talk about these things, so that we can be in agreement. I'm believing God for a powerful church here in Gastonia. You're saying God just gives me one or two people. We 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 we, we not in agreement. You understand what I'm saying? God just bless them any way you can. Just, you know, we just want to, no, we, we're not in agreement. You know, there have been some churches where, um, you know, the pastors believe in to touch the city, to minister to the law, do all kinds of things. But the church folks saying, but well, we believe in God to keep our church small so we can have a family atmosphere because we like seeing each other and knowing each other. We ain't in agreement. <laughs> See what I mean? Uh, Pastor, why the church ain't, why ain't growing? Because the members are in, in agreement and the pews talking about we like it like this. <laughs> everybody know each other. Got everybody's phone number. This is cool. Pastor's like, no, what, what? <laughs> in order for the move of God in this area, in agreement, I'm going to talk about this even more specifically um, in a marriage conference because Agreement is central on so many levels in your business, organizations, yes, even in your marriage. We have to have some clarity on where are we going? How fast are we headed that direction? <laughs> what do we hope to accomplish or what the method are we looking to utilize in our directions together? All of these things have to be discussed in order for us to walk together in agreement. Because we might agree on direction, but we don't agree on speed. 
And so therefore, we still got a problem. We might agree on direction, but we don't agree on, hey, let's take route number five, but you saying route number 10. We still got disagreement, even though route 10 and route five goes to the same place. The methods are different. And so therefore, you have disagreement within your homes. And when you have disagreement, if you don't deal with that area, it will ultimately lead to the next D word, divorce. Because you have two visions in the house, two minds in the house, you're not harmonized. And you're going this way, she's going that way, and you don't meet together in this area of agreement. So it is spiritually. If I'm believing God to prosper me, and I'm saying, I want you to agree with me. When somebody says, I want you to set yourself in agreement with me, ask them what it is that we are agreeing about. Because if we want the power to flow, we got to have an agreement of terms. You understand that? Amen. All right, that's it for tonight. Let us go ahead and pray, and we're going to talk about another area of prayer on next week. Did you get something out of tonight? We want to try to keep it as practical and simple as we can possibly. Let us pray. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. We thank you, Lord, that as we begin to understand different areas about prayer, that our prayer life will become more vibrant. As we begin to understand how not to use basketball rules when we're playing golf, we'll begin to see the results that we are looking for within our prayer life. Father, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord, for showing us how to walk in agreement. You said in your word that you are the rewarder of them that diligently seek you. And so, Lord, we say we are the diligent and we are indeed seeking you. And so, Lord, we look for your rewards as we begin to understand more. We thank you, Lord, that we'll begin to see more manifested within our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Hello, I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. Thank you for joining us today. We are the Training Center Church located here in Gastonia, North Carolina at 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Suite B. If you're joining us and this is your first time, we'd like to take this time to say thank you. If you're new to our area or if you're looking for a church home, we currently have our services on Thursday evening at 645 and 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. We'd like to invite you and your family and even a friend to join us live here in person where we have worship every Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Give thanks and be blessed. I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. On behalf of our pastor, Pastor A.C. Smith, we love you and thank you so very much. <laughs>